This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. This is the Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. Welcome to the Wealth Ability Show, where we're always discovering how to make way more money and pay way less taxes. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of Wealth Ability. So, the war on small business. It is clear from the pandemic that there has been a war against small business. It is clear from the Biden tax proposals that there is a continuing war on small business. But we have literally the expert on the war in small business, Carol Roth, who literally wrote the book, The War on Small Business. And uh, Carol, it is so great to have you here. We were just discussing, I'm actually in the middle of a five-part series on Entrepreneur Magazine talking about exactly this issue. So I'm so glad to have you. If you would just uh, introduce yourself a little bit, tell us uh, a little bit of your background. Yes. So I am a quote, recovering investment banker, TV personality, entrepreneur, and as you mentioned, uh, author of this new book, The War on Small Business, uh, which is my second on small business. I am an advocate for small business, small government, and as you can tell, big hair. So that's kind of uh, in my wheelhouse and uh, excited to have this conversation with you. No, that's, that's awesome. So it, it's very clear that um, the pandemic was all about big business, uh, big business won, small business lost. But in your, in, in your discussions, in your articles, in your book, you talk about this started a long time ago. So can you kind of take us back and where did this war on small business by the government and by big companies, not big companies always had a war on small business, we know that, um, except when they were small, right? But we know about that, but the government's involvement, can you just take us back to that? And, and you know, as, as everybody knows, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I do, you can't ignore what's going on. Yeah, I mean, so to put it in sort of non-conspiratorial terms, I sort of look at a spectrum of um, economic freedom. And on one side, you have traditional free market capitalism, which is freedom, choice, transparency, and it's protected by the guardrails of the protection of individual rights, including property rights. You don't have the protection of property rights. You don't have a government there to protect those, right? You don't, it's very difficult to have capitalism. On the other side of the spectrum, you have what I call central planning. And I use central planning to talk about a handful of people making decisions on behest of a whole bunch of people and usually using force, coercion, and control to do so. And I use that phrase instead of socialism or communism or pretty socialism or like whatever it is, because I don't want to get caught up in the definitions. I want to say very conceptual. And so if you look back, you know, particularly over, I don't know, the last maybe 40 years, there has been a concerted effort to grow the, the force and control and the planning piece of what we have going on in the economy 
and have less of it, um, you know, in terms of, of the freedom and choice. So if you look at where the economy sat going into 2019, it was split down the middle. 30.2 million decentralized free market-esque small businesses who represented about half of the GDP and about half of the employment, but 99.9% .9 of all business entities. And then you have half the economy concentrated in about 10 to 15,000 big businesses uh, who also had about half the economy and half the employment. Uh, so you can already kind of see, okay, well, we've got all these people over here and they're decentralized, but if we want the power, we need to be focused on these guys that are easier to control, that have the money, the lobbying dollars. So if you look back on you know, the, the inter interactions and intervention in the uh, public markets by the Federal Reserve, if you look at uh, the government and the way they brought in China as a trading partner to something that was supposed to be capitalism, but had communists who didn't value intellectual property rights. They don't value any rights, right? Human rights. Um, as our partner, if you look at the growth in government spending before COVID at all three levels of government, it was upwards of $8.1 trillion. I mean, that number is just staggering. If you look at the number of laws that have been passed, you look at all of these things, that central power side has gotten bigger and with so has come the war on that part that's decentralized, whether it's through regulation, whether it's through licensing, insurance, different tax treatment, which is obviously right in your wheelhouse, Tom. Um, you know, all of these things have started to tilt the playing field because it's so much easier for the government to deal with these big businesses and they get more benefits and that's how they continue to consolidate that power. So that was really the pathway um, that led into the decision-making that happened over the last 12 to 15 months where the government picked winners and losers and they did so not based on data or science, but based on political well, connections. And we saw the most historic wealth transfer uh, on the back end of this from Main Street small businesses, average Americans, to Wall Street and the people who are connected. Well, I, I think that it's pretty clear during the pandemic when you have uh, uh, Target, Walmart, and Costco open, and you have the small boutique stores closed uh, just because they happen to sell food, right? Not because there was any difference in health benefits to wearing a mask in a uh, Target versus wearing a mask in a boutique, right? I mean, if, if, if the masks work, they work. It doesn't matter well, where I'll you are. I'll give you a worse one. What about a weed dispensary that wasn't even legal a couple of years ago was now all of a sudden Essential, essential, but all of your other services weren't. So I mean, we can go, we could go down the list between dog grooming and people grooming, all these things that weren't uh, based on data and science. So from the beginning, we were not all in this together, as they like to say. No, that that's that's absolutely absolutely for sure. And you see how many bus small businesses have gone out of business during the pandemic, and you see how uh, companies like Amazon, Walmart, etc., have just thrived um, during the pandemic, uh, including places like McDonald's, et cetera, et cetera. Small restaurants got killed, but McDonald's, oh my heavens, they did great. So you mentioned in, you mentioned in your writing that um, you even believe that the PPP loans was an attack on small business. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, so I mean, it goes back to the concept that we were not all locked down. If everybody, we, we just kind of discussed it, right? There were, there were 
all of these places, the Amazon warehouse, Costco, as you mentioned, that, that were not locked down. Um, so, so we didn't have lockdowns. We had these targeted lockdowns right. that primarily affected small businesses. And instead of giving them due compensation, which is required under the constitution, if you take the government takes your property for the public good and shutting it down for a health concern, you know, is taking it for the public good, they owe you appropriate compensation. But if you looked at how much money was given out um, both in the first tranche of PPP under the CARES Act and just in total, I mean, it was crumbs compared to the actual uh, reality of the situation. And it was structured in such a way that it actually didn't get to the vulnerable businesses, especially during that first tranche. You know, the, the supply, which was, you know, a couple hundred billion out of the multiple trillions that were spent and over the multiple tranches, still less than a trillion dollars out of the six plus trillion dollars that were spent. Um, you know, it was structured so you could take down millions and millions of dollars under PPP. Well, like if you could take down that kind of money, you have other access to capital <laughs> in other ways. You don't need a PPP loan. Uh, but, you know, if you are a hairdresser or a dry cleaner or a gym or whatnot, like you probably do, they didn't even get in line because the banks obviously service those customers who were their best customers, which were these big companies. So, you know, Kanye West got his PPP loan, but your struggling local business didn't. And then all of the cash that was given out, whether it was to the Kennedy Center or to colleges who were already, have already get a, a tax exempt status, already benefit from the government nationalizing the student lending business. And oh, by the way, had been paid in full for the semester by their students and were not in any situation that you know, required any additional capital. In fact, they had less expenses because now nobody was right. on their campuses. And they by the way, they were, they were still charging full tuition, even though right. they had no expenses. Exactly. So they were getting this the helicopter money. You didn't have to do anything. But if you're a small business, you had to jump through a hoop. You had to hope you had good credits or else you were going to get denied, as I heard happen to many small business owners. You had to trust that the government was going to you know, forgive it. And many of them didn't qualify either in the first uh, tranche, in some cases, in multiple tranches. So yeah. if you were really trying to save the people that you targeted, if you were really trying to enact this eminent domain support, uh, boy, was that nowhere in the realm of what that should have been. Yeah, uh, well, on top of that, of course, uh, you had to use it for the employees. So the employees had to get the money. The business couldn't actually get the money. You had to use it for employees in order for the business to get the money at all. Um, which was, uh, I thought, very interesting. And then the, the impact in your mind on the um, unemployment uh, subsidies um, and how that has affected small business. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, we're, there were sort of the initial issues, which were, you know, the government shutting down small business by mandate, obviously the biggest, not compensating them appropriately. But that was the long tail effects, um, which include the stimulus checks and then the extended unemployment benefits. And I think it's really important to clarify, we're not talking about regular unemployment that your employer pays in on your behalf or in some states that you pay into because that's your money. You should have access to that. This was an enhanced amount, an incremental. In the beginning, it was $600 a week. They reduced it to $300 a week, but it was an extra bonus to not go back out and look for a job, which if unemployment is supposed to sustain you when you don't have a job, why are you bonusing people for that? So it's conditioning people to think, well, you don't have to, to worry, the government's gonna take care of you. 
And what it has done on the back end is it's sort of trying to push a de facto minimum wage increase because people, you know, whether they can get paid more staying at home or even if it's not quite as much, the differential doesn't make up the, well, if I could just sit around and play video games and it's, you know, I get paid a couple hundred dollars less a week, who cares? Especially, um, especially when they make it non-taxable, right? So they, they made that $10,000, $10,200 non-taxable. All of a sudden, you, you can either go to uh, get a job, right. go back to your restaurant job, for example, and get, get a job and pay tax, or you can sit at home and collect unemployment and pay no tax. So um, that, that non-taxable aspect of it, I think, actually was a, a pretty big deal for a lot of people. And, that, and that's your wheelhouse. So I'm a, you're the expert on that, so I'm going to defer to you on that piece of it. But you know, the, the long tail effects, we can see that in the numbers, is that we have 9.2 million jobs that are unfilled in this country. This is more than we had before the pandemic started in February 2020, and we can't get people back to work. And then that and other impacts of just turning off a large swath of the economy and thinking you could turn it back on like you were power cycling a computer modem has disrupted supply chains. Right. And then if you think about the long-term effects, like from a small business owner's perspective, so you're a restaurant, you were shut down in whole or part, you barely hung on, maybe you got some PPP crumbs, you finally can open up again, you can't find workers, so now you as the owner is probably like bussing tables, like yeah. being the hostess, taking reservations, cooking the food, doing the stuff, your customers who are like dying to come back in, come in, they have bad service because you don't have enough people to work there and they're never going to come back and see you again. I mean, like, it's just like, well, so uh, let me give you an interesting, interesting, interesting experience that my wife and I have noticed. So uh, we've been out to restaurants um, over the last few weeks. And what we've noticed is uh, an amazing shortage of bartenders. It's been really fascinating. First time ever consistently food comes before drinks. Yeah. So what that's saying is, is that guess what? We don't have enough help and that's why we've got these service issues or you go and you stay at a hotel and guess what? They're not cleaning uh, except once a week. Right. Um, if you're, you know, let's say you, you're there for a week, they're not even going to come and, and clean during the week. Why? Because they can't get, they can't get the people there. So we, we know that's an issue going on right now. So why? What, why do you think it is that the government is doing this? Because when we look at what's, I mean, it's really clear in the pandemic, and it's very clear, we'll get to this, it's very clear in the Biden tax proposals, that this is a very big swing from uh, focusing and, and giving benefits to small business to benefiting the big guys. Why do you think that's going on? Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. So I think if you think about the stimulus checks, 
the unemployment. You know, it, again, it's conditioning people to devalue the dignity of work and to think that the government's going to take care of you. And if you're the government who already has an incredible amount of power, like what's the next step into getting more power? It's more things under your purview. UBI is a clear one of those. So if you don't know UBI, it's universal basic income. It's when the government who doesn't make anything of value decides that it's going to promise you somebody else's money for the future, including your own. So it's like a, a shell game. You give them the, the government a dollar and they'll give you back 80 cents guaranteed or something like that. Re a really bad trade uh, for everyone. But I think that this is just a step in terms of, of trying to consolidate that power and to get more people on the government dole and to move more of that decentralized part of the economy towards the central part that they're already buddies with because, and, and I, I don't care about the intention. I don't care if you think that small businesses are too small to matter. I don't care if you think that they're too hard to control, but they stand in the way of that political power grab. And so the intentions don't matter, it's the outcomes that matter. And when you have this big behemoth um, that is like continuing to increase its its purview, that's, that's the outcome that's gonna happen. Hey, if you like financial education the way I do, you're going to love Buck Joffrey's podcast. Buck's a friend of mine, he's a client of mine, he's a former board certified surgeon and He's turned into a real estate professional. So he has this podcast that is geared towards high paid professionals. That's who he's geared towards. So if you're a high paid professional, you're going, look, I'd like to do something different with my money than what I'm doing. I'd like to get financially educated. I'd like to take control of my money and my life and my taxes. I would love to recommend Buck Joffrey's podcast, which is called Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. I hope you join Buck on this adventure of a lifetime. So let me throw out another theory that I've been exploring and I explore in my Entrepreneur Magazine articles on this same subject. And that is that Joe Biden has said from the day one when he first started running, he is a union guy. How much of this do you think is coming from there, from the Biden administration, given that small businesses don't get unionized? Only big business get unionized. Do you think that there's a correlation there? So, you know, I'm, I try to be fair and nonpartisan about this. I think it's a systemic issue, and I think that it predates the Biden administration. But okay. there's no doubt that the Biden administration's policy are big special interests and big business oriented. And that is sort of the unholy triumvirate, right? It, it, it's central planners and government it's big business and it's big special interest. And if you look at all of the policies that are coming out um, of that administration, it, it does, it benefits the big businesses, it benefits the unions, because obviously, like you said, it's much easier to unionize on, on a big business side than it is on a small business side. And uh, you know, it, it stifles innovation. So if you look at the PRO Act, if you look at even the capital gains increases, like any of these things, the minimum wage increases, any of these policies really do have the direct impact of being anti-competitive and putting up more barriers for small businesses to start and to continue to operate and to continue to compete and to consolidate more and more power with big businesses, big special interests and governments. So let, let's talk about that capital gains tax just for a second. Since <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a, a, it's a huge deal. The current Biden tax proposals are so big that they would, if they were enacted, they would be the biggest change in tax policy since 1913 in the United States. 
here's where they really attack small business. So first of all, let's just start with the simple uh, like-kind exchanges, which Joe Biden calls a loophole, which by definition, if it's a tax code section, it's not a loophole, okay? It's intentional, takes all the liquidity out of the small real estate market, okay? So who's gonna be able to buy real estate? Well, that's gonna be the big businesses, um, the big companies. Uh, Blackstone, for example, those guys, right? They're the big companies. Now let's look at the capital gains tax on transfers to your family, on death, things like that. We actually calculated if you're in California and you built a business from scratch and it was worth $100 million under the current proposals, out of that $100 million, your children would inherit roughly $8 million. Um, the government would take $92 million. So what this really means is, is that this is a confiscation of assets. Well, who's, so if you owe $92 million, how are you going to get that to the government? Well, there's only one way. Sell your business. Yeah. Sell the business. Who's going to have the money to buy the business? Well, the big <laughs> business. Right. right. So this is this is we already know that the like the big tech, they're very predatory in their practices. Walmart, very predatory in its practices. You either sell to us or we will put you out of business. That is very clearly their um, their their mantra, basically, with uh, small business. So now we've got the Biden administration, which in, very clearly under the tax proposals is very anti-small business and really has no impact on big business. So here's another one for you. Um, you'll appreciate Carol. So the like kind exchanges for small real estate transactions, they're a loophole, but the ability for a big company to acquire a small company for stock and have absolutely no tax consequence, that's not a loophole. Oh no, no, that is good. That's good for us. Yeah. Okay, okay, so the, the big business actually wins and the small business loses. Yeah, so, we see we see this over and over again because you know everything sounds like it's coming down on the big guy, but they never are the ones that get hurt by this. They always have these different sort of ins and outs, and it's always the small business. And I'll offer sort of a bigger macro consequence of just something like you know the, the traditional capital gains rate if that's increased. Um, obviously, we're, we've seen the Federal Reserve disrupt risk in the market in terms of decreasing interest rates, and there are all sorts of implications right. like we're talking here that end up benefiting the big business. But if you start disrupting the risk on the capital gains side, then it means that you have to take on more risk in order to earn the same returns. And if you're somebody who has a lot of wealth, you're either going to hold on to that or you're going to risk adjust for that. So in that scenario, whether there's less capital or more um, less of an appetite for risk, who ends up being the riskiest bets? It's the startups and the small businesses. So that means in terms of access to capital, the small businesses are gonna have less access to capital. And by the way, we saw this happen coming out of the Great Recession with Dodd-Frank when it was supposed to, to rein in the big banks, but it killed the number of, of smaller banks and killed small business lending. And it let the big banks and big business lending have free reign. So again, like these things sound great and we're gonna stick it to the big guy and this is gonna be good for the little guy. It literally oh. never ever, like there's no example where it, it ever is. No, no, I mean, let, 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 let's take the simple example of, you know, Jeff Bezos has been, you know, been talking about, yeah, we need, we can increase the corporate tax rate, et cetera. At the same time, he's lobbying for research and development tax credits, right? So 
what we know is that it's not the tax rate that matters, it's the tax you pay that matters. And uh, you know, if you can get the tax incentives, who cares what the tax rate is? I mean, frankly, if your taxable income is zero, your tax rate doesn't matter. So, but let's look at that capital gains for an instance. So let me give you an, a, a scenario, Carol. Let's take your typical employee and they put their money away into a Roth IRA, a Roth for years and years and years and years. By and the way, I'm of no relation, but I'm happy to take credit. And and when and 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 when and when they retire, let's make it a regular IRA, not a Roth IRA. But thank you for that. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I like Roth IRAs. I don't particularly care for regular IRAs. But um, let's say it's a regular. It's a regular. You know, it's your 401k. It's an IRA, whatever. And you have two million dollars when you retire. Okay you get to spread that money out and that tax liability out over your entire lifetime plus 10 years of your benefit uh, of your beneficiaries after you die right so now let's compare that to a small business owner small business owner when they die they sell their business okay so what they're saying is is look if you're a small business owner the day you retire we're going to tax your ira 401k at 40% whether or not you take the money, whether or not you use the money. That's exactly what this proposed capital gains tax does to the small business owner. So it's very much, um, it, it, is, it is very much a war on small business. Absolutely. Um, I, I just think there's no question about it. What can we do about this? I mean, you know, what can the small business owner do? Uh, what can people do um, outside of writing their senators, which I hope they, um, if like you're me in Arizona, where we have uh, Democrats uh, in the Senate, uh, we can write our senators. But outside of that side of it, which has maybe some small impact, what can we actually do? Well, I mean, that's the, the $30 trillion question, isn't it? Um, I think from a consumer standpoint, the easiest thing that you can do to help counteract this is to vote with your dollars. You know, I saw a statistic the other day that, that Amazon is um, planning to capture 85% of the digital back to school shopping. Well, if you're shopping for back to school, like maybe shop somewhere else. And again, I'm a capitalist. So if you find value in Amazon and it's just unbeatable, go ahead. You know, I have nothing against them, you know, as a company, but you have to remember that your dollars and your voting with your dollars is part of capitalism. And so if you want this decentralization and this balance of power and you want to support the, the, the wealth creation opportunities for a small business owner, perhaps consider supporting a small business. I think that that's, you know, number one thing. And I think small business owners should be supporting each other and reaching out to their customers and telling them how to help because people really are focused on this. They just aren't sure what to do. In terms of, you know, the government stuff, yes, you have to stand up and you have to, to write in on all of these things that sound good in theory, but are, are anti-competitive to small business. And, you know, one of the things that I talk about in the book that I think is really important. And unfortunately, nobody talks about it because it is so difficult and opaque as the Federal Reserve. I mean, so much of the transfer of wealth and so much of the tipping of scale has come out of the monetary policy in this country to the point where it's like, it's mind boggling and it's in the trillions and trillions of dollars that we need to have a concerted effort to rein in the Federal Reserve and put guardrails about you know, how much intervention they can do into the market, uh, because that is really disruptive and really causing this wealth transfer. And so if we want you know, not just small businesses to thrive, but if we want individuals to be able to create wealth in this country, 
via owning a home, via investing in the stock market, investing in your own business, you need to be to be standing up for these kinds of things. And I know it's not fun. We all just want to be left alone. But unfortunately, that's the outgrowth of all of us wanting to be left alone is that we have this behemoth. And I'm certainly open to other ideas. So if you have one out there, let me know. But we, we, so got, me, we got to tear this stuff down. Let me, let me throw you one, Carol. Because awesome. um, we're, uh, you know, we're all about how to do something, not whether I can do something. Um, Cause that's the way entrepreneurs are, right? I've never been an entrepreneur that wants to know what they can't do. So what we want to know is how can we do it? We have a, a magical thing in the constitution called equal protection under the law, which means that you can't treat different businesses differently yeah. under the law, which that means that uh, let's say for example, you don't like it, uh, the tax consequence of operating the way most small businesses do, then we can operate the way a big business does. And we're totally allowed to do that. Okay, you don't have to be, um, Walmart to operate like Walmart. And so, you know, one of the things we're always talking about is, well, look, let's make sure that you've got a team like the big businesses do. Let's be sure we're thinking like this, big businesses do. And more, more importantly, which is something that you're doing, and I really appreciate what you're doing, and that is to get the financial education to understand what is going on so that you can actually, I have a, uh, my good friend, Robert Kiyosaki says, uh, don't, don't get rid of the Fed, be the Fed. Okay, <laughs> well. learn how to do what what the big guys do, and uh, and and I think that's a that's actually something we're going to have to do more and more if the government's continually promoting um, thing things the way the big big guys do it. Maybe we're going to have to start adapting to that and looking at look if I can't change it um, for you know the overall economy, perhaps I can change it for myself. Yeah, I think that's a good point, and obviously. There are certain things, like you said, with structures and tax codes that are very opaque and that experts like you can help teach us, which we should do. There are other things, um, you know, whether it's regulatory capture or just, you know, the amount of capital that a small business can take on that we're not going to be able to shift with those kinds of things. I mean, I see the other thing, too, that we need more legal challenges. And there are some great organizations. Uh, Pacific Legal is one of them. And uh, you know, there are foundations that are going to be challenging these things. So like you said, in the Constitution, it says you can't do this differently. So like, let's go out and challenge these things so that we stop getting uh, these, these rights stomping uh, regulations and mandates that are put out there. And I've been encouraging small business owners that if they feel like their property was taken for the public good and they did not get their eminent domain appropriate compensation, they that should would go out and sue. That would be an interesting class action, wouldn't it? I think I think you'll see it. I do think I, you'll see I, it. I, I think that's a. I've, I'm I'm not a big lawsuit guy, but I think that's. No, a I'm, not, I'm not either. I, I hate it, but in this case, it is entirely warranted, and it's the only thing that's going to stop this. When you challenge wow. these these ridiculous laws, not only does it take them you know out of effect, but it starts to tell the politicians like there's a line here, like you can't cross that. You know, we, I think what we learned from GameStop and AMC, et cetera, is that the small investor does can have an impact if we get together and have the impact together. Absolutely. So, Amen. Um, Carol Roth, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Uh, the book is The War on Small Business. Highly encourage everybody, pay attention to this. This is an all out war and it's, it's not going to end pretty. Okay, if we're not diligent, we don't get the financial education, we don't learn these things, it is not going to be pretty because 
what would the United States look like if we had no small business? By the way, if we had no small business, we'd have no Amazon, we'd have no Tesla, just remind everybody, we'd have no Walmart because they all started as small businesses. So uh, sometimes I think they forget that that's how they started. And uh, we just need to remember that really this country is all about small business. So thank you, Carol. Great to have you on. Congratulations on the book. Uh, just a terrific topic. And thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thanks so much, Tom. Appreciate your advocacy for small business and uh, look forward to, to fighting the fight alongside of you. Hey, so before we finish, can I ask you one question? Of course. Are you familiar with um, what's going on in Arizona with Prop 208? I am not. The tax increase? I am not. So they, um, the voters in Arizona, the voters can apparently can do this, um, voted the uh, people who make more than $250,000 an 80% tax increase last year, all to go directly to schools to bypass the government uh, uh, entirely. Okay. And uh, what's interesting is it applies to small business, but not big business. So you might want to, I just want to let you know that okay. that is out there. So it's not just at the federal level that these are, there is a, there is some kind of coordinated attack going on against uh, entrepreneurship. So uh, just remember, it's all about financial education. When we get financially educated, then we're aware of these things. We, we can start looking at things that we can do. We can get a team around us. We can get advisors around us. And when we do that, we're always gonna make way more money, and pay way less tax. See you next time. You've been listening to The Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. To learn more, go to wealthability.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>